I'm Rebecca Rothstein, and along with my co-host, Leanne Daly, we'd like to welcome you to Say It Forward. Each week, we'll be doing one of my favorite things to do, and that's interviewing interesting people with out-of-the-ordinary life stories. They're all people who took a different path in life. Some never imagined the heights they would achieve, and others, well, they turned their childhood dreams into reality. Sitting in with Rebecca and Leanne today is one of our producers, Matt Bloom. So let's begin. Today you're going to meet a dear friend of mine, producer and former actor Jeffrey Kramer. He grew up on the East Coast, and after moving to Hollywood, he made his first TV appearance on the TV series Barney Miller. He achieved notoriety playing Jeff Hendricks in the Oscar-winning horror thriller film Jaws. Then he reprised that same role in the sequel, Jaws 2, where he became the chief of police. He went on to appear in the Joe Dante cult classic, Hollywood Boulevard, the horror film, Halloween 2, and the ensemble black comedy, Clue. Jeffrey has appeared in several television series, including Laverne and Shirley, The Mary Tyler Moore Hour, Chico and the Man, MASH, and Happy Days. As an executive producer, he's won three Emmy Awards, three Golden Globes, the Producers Guild Producer of the Year Award, and two Peabody Awards, as well as the Silver Gavel. In his charitable work, he co-founded the Tourette Syndrome Association's Champion of Children Dinner and serves on the National Board of the Tourette Syndrome Alliance, where he works tirelessly. So let's rewind to the beginning and say it forward with my dear friend, Jeffrey Kramer. We're going to start off today by talking about your personal life a little bit. Oh, God. Now, I (laughs) believe... Let's start. Let's kill me first. (laughs) That's good. Where were you born? I was born in Manhattan. Manhattan? I don't think I knew that. On 17th Street at Beth Israel Hospital. The family had an apartment on West 12th Street, and I lived in uh, West New York, New Jersey, which is right on the river, and then we moved to Teaneck, New Jersey, but... We really grew up in many ways on Martha's Vineyard. My family were the first Jews on Martha's Vineyard. How did that happen? Grandparents, brothers, sisters, cousins, all came from a little shtetl in uh, Vilnius Uh in Lithuania. One brother came first, brought all the others, and they started the grocery store and the real estate. My grandfather started a real estate company called Kronig's Real Estate that had as its slogan, if you're on earth... Own a slice of it. Oh, wow. <laughs> it <was> very cool. <laughs> yeah, I think that there's a lot of um, history of yours that I would love to talk about, particularly the history of you going through your reasonably, you know, peaceful life with your mom and your dad passed away. I would like to, if you don't mind, talk about that for just a second. No, um, my father died when I was very young. I was 13. And he got furious with me and he died a few days later, of course, I thought I killed him. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, it was really? horrible, yeah. What he, was he mad about? Or what? I can't remember what it was, but I remember he took my hand and he put it on his heart and he said, you see, you see what you do to me? And four days later he died. I thought, I killed him. Oh, my God. And then I realized <laughs> later in life that parents don't wake up in the morning and say, okay, how are we going to screw up our children today? We yeah. just don't do that. It took yeah. you a long time, though, to get to that place. Cause oh, that, for sure. You used to joke about it, but I know that inside of that joke is a half-truth. And then my mother married three times. She was widowed three times. Oh, my Lord. At one point, I said, Mom, don't kiss me. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. I love how humor <laughs> is like this. It's like this life raft in a way. You, you, 
you jump what, what, back onto it, right? What else do we do? You know, yeah. I watched my mother. When my father died, we were kids. I was 13. And she, every time she would pick herself up, dust herself off, and kind of move towards the light. Mm -hmm. And I thought, that's really a really uh, important life lesson for me. And I tell my kids this because we all have these horrendous defeats personally, professionally, whatever it is. And it's about moving forward. It's about taking three steps, even if we take two back. I once called my mother and I said, Mom, I'm going to star in this TV series. And Which one? Uh, it was called Struck by Lightning uh -huh. with me and Jackie uh -huh. many, many years ago. And I said, you never know what's going to happen, Mom. You never know. I said, uh, you know, Robin Williams' mother was on the Today Show, so you'll never know what's going to happen. And she said, oh, Jeffrey, I could never do that. I could never do that. And there's a long pause, and she said, but I'm going to die it just in case. <laughs> And once I love her so much. Larry David That's and so Lori funny. David moved to Martha's Vineyard, and I knew Lori David, and I vaguely knew Larry, and I invited them into the house, and they came over to the house when they first moved there, and my mother said, "Oh, Mr. David, we love Steinfield." <laughs> oh God, he was so sweet. He didn't laugh. Steinfield. <laughs> yeah, true story. That's, That's so awesome. funny. Yeah, she was a hoot. But Je everybody likes Jeffrey. He's one of those people that everybody likes. But Jeffrey is a really deeply honorable and loyal friend. And so most of the people that he's friends with now that he's been friends with for a really, really long time. And as a person who's had the pleasure of having many meals out with Jeffrey, it's like going to his bar mitzvah every time we go out for dinner. <laughs> Jeffrey, Jeffrey, Jeffrey. You're like the mayor, right? <laughs> yeah, You're kind he of is. the mayor. <laughs> and everybody loves him. And so after having been in the Hollywood community for as long as he has and to still be able to say that he has as many friends as he does is a great compliment and credit to you. You know, thank you. You know, I'll tell you a funny story. I was David Kelly's partner. We were doing the practice. Mm -hmm. And David wanted, he thought Oliver Platt would be great as mm. the lead, which makes it more of an everyman thing. And Oliver Platt didn't want to do it. And then he said, what about Bo Bridges? And I thought, you know, it'd be great if we had some heat at the core of this. And I go to a dinner years ago at the AFI. And it was um, at the time that Clint Eastwood had done In the Line of Fire. Yeah. And I run into a guy there named Dylan McDermott, who I didn't know. And I said, do you care about material? He said, yeah, it's everything in the world to me. So I said, then you owe it to yourself in your career to read this David Kelly script because it is fabulous. And he said, I, I will. I promise you I will. Just get it to my agent. I call the agent who says, oh, you know, everything you're Mr. Kelly or you do, it doesn't stick to the ceiling. Oh, wow. I said, I understand it, but let me tell you something. This guy promised me he'd read it. He says he's a movie star. I said, yeah, he just did that movie and he did Jersey Girls. So what's he going to do? 49 more? He'll do New Mexico Girls, Utah Girls. <laughs> he, Indiana I Girls. I said, he promised me he would read this. <laughs> a week later... Dylan McDermott calls me. He says, Jeffrey Kramer? I said, yeah. He says, I love this script. I said, I knew you would. It's really a cut above. It's so special. David was the most talented writer I've ever known. And, and he's a good, good man. He's just smart. And, um, and uh, Dylan says, 
Did you ever go to a bar in the village named Jimmy Days? I said, every night of my life, I'd get off the subway at Sheridan Square. I was living uh, up on Waverly Place, and I'd stop in for a drink. He says, do you remember Mac? I said, yeah, the bartender. He says, he was my friend. I, I tell him, he goes, that's my father. He says, you're not going to remember this. <laughs> Chill bumps. But, what? That's unbelievable. Yeah. What? But you were this big actor. You'd just done Jaws. I said, oh, please. And he said, but you came in one night. I'm not sure you're going to remember this because you probably had a few drinks. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but he said, you sat with me. I was an underage busboy, and you sat with me, and we talked for an hour. And you really inspired me. I mean, we talked about acting, and you really inspired me. And I went home, told my children this, and I said, you better put it out there because you never know how it's going to come back to you in life. But it does. Oh my and God. he ended up doing the lead in this. I mean, we once, after the practice was on, walked into a restaurant together in New York, and a table of women stood up and started applauding. <laughs> oh I knew it wasn't for me. <laughs> Let's go back to your young life. Uh, you became an actor, and along the way, you met Vicky. Vicky was my agent. Vicky Kramer. <gasps> Commercial agent. Oh, so. Right thought, why not give her 50% instead of 10? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but you got not something back We just got along so well, and we thought we'd raise a family together. And those days were the happiest days of my life. They were just fabulous. Oh, beautiful. I mean, we really, we had we have three fabulous boys. We And there were ups and downs, as, as Rebecca knows. We lost five pregnancies during it. And you keep moving forward what i don't know what if there's any thematic in my life it's got to be that and i never quite thought of it like that until sitting here but mm. i think there's truth in that i my observations of you and your wife raising your family was there was genuine laughter you know lots of camaraderie and you had challenges raising your children oh yeah and, we had they, we two of them had tourette syndrome mm. and then i realized i had tourette syndrome when they got diagnosed, I thought I was just really neurotic, but <laughs> I, I'm Tourette-ing, Tourette-er, and I'm now on the board. Vicky was on the board and the secretary of the national board also. Please, what is the board called? The board? It's called the Tourette Association, Association of America. Okay. And we, we did it in an episode of The Practice, and I got them to let us do a Chiron at the end. Leslie Moonves let us do this. And he, we had thousands of calls in because they call it America's Most Misdiagnosed Syndrome. It's not a disease. It's an inherited syndrome. And uh, kids tick. Mm -hmm. And they um, OCD is a big part of this. And we went into the schools and tried to educate the teachers. And uh, Ken and Julie Molis got involved. And in the last 10 years, I think we've raised over $16 million. Wow. So how did it manifest in you that you I didn't know would, what it was? And I would tick. I would uh, have uh, head ticks, hand ticks. I had vocal ticks. Ooh. I used to do that. And people would go, whoop. I'd say, I'm just warming up. We all find ways to cover right. them up. To mask, and, you yeah. Know, and you yeah. covered it all with humor. Yeah. And you yeah. never would have recognized that it was what it was without your... Right. Now yeah. let's talk about your life as an actor and how you segued from the being in front of the camera to having such a successful career behind the camera. I was terrible at the, on the down times. 
I like getting the jobs and doing them, but in between there was a lot. And so, did you to, start as a commercial actor? I did a bunch of commercials, like anything that we you would remember. Doctor Pepper, Harry, this is your mouth yeah. talking, Harry. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I do. That was that me. Was you. Or I also was the voice of Metamucil laxative. <laughs> is that <laughs> true? Yeah. <laughs> And lots of commercials, but, you know, in between, it was all these other jobs. It was the uh, first job I ever had here was Barney Miller, I think. But it mm. was up and down. And later on in life, I realized, oh, my God, I'm having my third child in 1989. I'm selling flowers on the corner of Pico and Fairfax with my cap over my head so in case my agent drove by, I wouldn't... But we were having a third child. I had, you know, what else are you going to do? Because it it's a roller coaster. It's up and down, and it was just crazy. And uh, I went in, and I got a job at Fox. I didn't want to go. Vicky set me up, and Richard Dreyfus, who's the godfather to one of the kids because I know him from Jaws, uh, came over and said, if you don't do this, I will kill you. Good impersonation. <laughs> and I thought... Okay, I'll go in. And they hired me. <laughs> Within a year, I ran development. And we developed the X-Files. And I worked in The Simpsons and all these great mm. shows. And, and you and, got a paycheck. And I worked, yes, a real paycheck. And then I, I worked in an arena where there are no facts here. It's all opinions forcibly argued. So mm. actors can do that. My oldest friend, uh, Leslie Moonves, he does that and segued into it fabulously. I mean, he's, he's famous been, for saying that, too, about being the head of a – what is the quote? his quote? Something like, I think he said, I, I, I'm great at my job because I understand that a big part of it is acting as if oh, I, I am. Oh, I didn't know that. But yeah. that, that's – but for sure. Yeah. And, and – uh, this was it suits people with personalities like mine and his and yeah, but you also had to work hard at it. I mean, it's not something that oh, comes yeah. easily. I mean, and you were sure. out on casting calls and sitting oh. in rooms and being with other people competing for the same job. But to, finally, to, I realized we were the last hired and the first fired as actors, right? And I thought I want more control over my life. So were you were you learning this? career in development while going on auditions at the same no, time? No, but I always it? thought beyond it. I ran a summer theater on Martha's Vineyard. I produced it, played all the best young men's roles, <laughs> hired directors from New York who got to know us and hired us all winter in New York. And I thought, I like doing this. This is in putting these pieces, putting, you know, the art of producing, I think, at least for me, is getting people to do what you'd like them to do and having them want and embrace doing it. That's cool. Yeah. You, you just have a tenderness about you. I think about Ally McBeal as a choice. It was, it was a risky choice, and it was a choice that nobody had ever really made before. Well, David was really the, the creative force there. He was so smart, and he just channeled his inner, inner self you know, you'd go into David sometimes and you could almost see all these voices bouncing around his head. <laughs> He's so talented and a good guy. 
How did you connect with him? We became friends when I started my career at Fox, and we got along very well. It turned out that his dad was the first football coach on Martha's Vineyard, and his brother no, Paul no was born on Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> once, funny story, once David and Michelle and the kids came to Martha's Vineyard, and we go out to a dinner, and we're in a dry town. They don't serve liquor. They see Michelle, and they come over and say, would you like a glass of wine? <laughs> and we all thought about it. And Michelle says, how do they, how do they, can they do that? I said, oh, it's, I, I think they recognize me from Jaws. I said, meanwhile, it was not that at all. They saw a big movie star like Michelle come in and they went, whoa, what can we do to make you <laughs> happy? Break out the it wine. It was so funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. That's funny. <laughs> but humor again, you know, yeah. Yeah. deflects, it's, it heals, it salves. It. Yeah. I remember you when you were starting that project and the amazing uh, excitement that you had at the beginning of that and the opportunity to work with David, who you were extremely fond of and really oh, thought was do. a massively talented guy, is a massively talented guy, who's still out there working, who's still probably the best writer Certainly one of the best writers Without in television today. Speaking of writing, do you ever do you get poked fun at about that line from Jaws where you were making signs saying pe people should keep What's off the What's the matter with my printing? <laughs> <laughs> That's like the famous thing. When I heard we were talking to you, I remembered that. Because you were kind of like the comic relief in yeah. that in that scene. <laughs> and do people like holler that across streets at you? Or did they back they in do, the day? Uh, you know, sometimes we have Jaws fests and they people come up <laughs> and it Jaws 1 was so much fun, but I was so nervous. I mean, the first day of shooting was the day I find the first body and throw up. Yeah. I was so nervous I could have really thrown up. Wow. It was so. And Jaws 2, it took so long to shoot. The joke around was that if you ever go to prison, you get six months off of any jail term just for doing Jaws 2. <laughs> I, correct me if I'm wrong, and I should know the answer to this, but did Steven Spielberg <laughs> direct Jaws? Yes. Did he direct both of them? No, just one. So I accepted the Producers Guild of the Year Award once from, for David and the team at the, at the Producers Guild at a big dinner, and Steven was presenting it, and he said, oh, oh, Jerry, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> what am I going to say? No, it's Jeffrey. <laughs> That's oh, my God. <laughs> so the makes me laugh. It's very funny. But what an experience. And I know that you go out and about, and you're famous in the Jaws world. When you go to these places and they have these Jaws fests, people stand online to shake <laughs> their hands. They do, and people come in with four- and five-year-olds. I said, have you shown it to them? <laughs> and they say, yeah, they've oh seen God. it many times. They I said, I it. should call social <laughs> services on you. <laughs> After that came out, I came out here, and I think I was so insecure, and uh, I didn't quite know how to take advantage of the success of it. And I realized also that after all these years, I thought this applause, this all of the trappings of, uh, of uh, acting was love, and I was mm. so wrong. Wow. <laughs> Now, you went from that environment where you worked at a giant company on a lot, lots of camaraderie, and then you started Juniper Place. Well, Juniper Place is a, you know, a, 
private company that it's a loan out company, you know, for working. So you're self-employed in a sense. But uh, I do it, and CBS makes a deal with Juniper Place, and we— When uh, you had—I I forget in your timeline where East of Doheny fell. Was it in between Oh, Fox it was in between—after I left David, I ran uh, a company for uh, a woman I know who married a very, very wealthy guy and their family, and they had uh, a few production companies and— we did Broadway. We did Sweet Smell of Success. Mm-hmm. John Lithgow, mm-hmm. who I've known since we're 18 oh, years so old, calls me and he says, we just lost a million dollars in Sweet Smell of Success. So I went into my guys and in an hour, they wanted to be on Broadway. They got me, they gave me a million dollars. All the old producers who were involved in this we go, how did you do this? How did you do this? They still geshry, you know, people for fifty, a hundred thousand dollars. It was geshry. unbelievable. So then the and it was it had great creative pedigree. Nick Heitner directed it, John Guare wrote the book, mm. Marvin Hamlish did the music, uh, and it was unbelievable. John won the Tony. Yep. But it was a fourteen million dollar flop. And I would go to meetings and they would say, oh, wait, wait, Kramer. All right, here comes Outflow. <laughs> they then referred to me as Outflow. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so I remember you when you were had that business east of Doheny. And I went to see you at your office. And yeah. that office, in my mind, I have a recollection of it being filled with candy. It looked like children lived there. It did, right? <laughs> yeah. Like it had like candy yes. jars everywhere. Yes. But they needed somebody to help them, guests, get into this. And at one point, it was the time of Icebox and Den and the broadband entertainment. And I got them to put money into a uh, an online creator called Honkworm. Did you ever see a thing called Fish Bar? A bunch of fish talking in a bar. Fox Sports Networks picked it up to uh, prelude, prelude to some of the games, and they do... Like interstitial would, content, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, and um, they put some money into it, and we really were... We had some great ideas, but there was no broadband. There was no bandwidth to There's really no place do to it distribute it, yeah. Yeah, we were a decade ahead of ourselves right. here. And uh, it just never worked, but I've always been interested in that space yeah now what do you see so your experiences in television are much longer and much more robust than many you've had a lifetime in this industry well, you know i didn't start doing that till i was 38 39 yeah, years yeah but prior old. to that you were working as an actor and you were a working For actor sure. and you were getting paid so you've spent your entire career in and around the entertainment industry yes. Now you sit here today and we talk about what's going on in this digital revolution of on-demand television. You know, there's no – you got to sit down Thursday night at 9 o'clock if you want to see Allie McBeal. Of course, I'm making that up because I don't remember what Allie McBeal right. was on. But you're right. You can watch anything when you want to watch it. When you want to watch it. And now today is you still are developing and seeing shows. What's changing in the world as it relates to you and your career and what do you see happening? I'll give you – it's just so interesting. You, there's a lot more – venues and there's a lot more bad tv too <laughs> right well, you know the because you, you really when i started this is a true story a guy said to me you know jeffrey you can't say shit on television and i thought about it and I thought why why can't you and the guy said 
because they have enough shit on television. (laughs) (laughs) And nowadays you get, it's spread out. So you have a couple shows on Amazon, a couple on Netflix, some on broadcast. And I watch an eclectic mix, but there's also some really good shows. You know, they wrote an article about David uh, when we were doing the practice and Ali McBeal saying it was the golden age in Hollywood television because they were making TV was better than the movies. And I think that's true now. I think it's true. There's too. much more good TV than there are movies. And there's, I think you're yeah. going to see movies coming into your home. You know, yesterday there was a an article for $30, you'll be able to see it on the opening day in your home. A movie. Th- this is. Wow. Absolutely happening now. Yeah. And, you know, it's so, and, and today when you go to people's homes, you know, certainly most middle class and higher families have at home entertainment that dwarfs what we had when we were younger. Oh, you bet. I mean, and, everybody's and, got a big screen TV and everybody has an Apple TV so they can watch whatever they want. And, you know, you just mentioned a movie. I'm going to go as soon as I'm finished here. I'm going to go find it. You get a month worth of entertainment at home for the, what it would cost to get a babysitter and go out to dinner. Right. Yeah, this is but an interesting. But it still has to be good. It has to be a cut above. I learned that from David. David, he was just a classy guy, and he everything we did was a cut above. Is, does he have anything on television today? He's got a, a show called Big Little Lies on HBO. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, that show! And he's got a Stephen King thing he's doing now. Speak a little bit about. We, we've had um, discussion about this over dinner. How many of these young executives that you have to go to now when you're pitching a show and everybody has some kind of point of view about it and very few of them have any real experience? Well, and who knows, right? Yeah. I'd love to know what your thoughts are on that. Well, a young writer came in the other day says, how old are you? I said, if I tell you, I'd have to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, give me a break. So a lot of these young people... Wait to see what their boss thinks before they give their opinion. But then that only becomes about how do I get the next job? It's all about, you know, moving up in the chain. But when when I first started, and there are some at my studio who are just terrific and young execs who tell you how the what they think. And you really it's you know, there's no right or wrong here. You got to say you're, what you're thinking. <clears throat> you know the parameters of what your studio or the network is looking for. So somebody once said to me, you're going you're gonna to be part of another hit? I said, if we knew how to make hits, we'd ma- keep making yeah. them. Now let's talk about your life today. What's your personal life? I know that Vicky passed away. Yes. Which is a sad, sad day in all of our yes, lives. Sir, I have three sons who live in London. And that every I am one of them lives Thank in London. Thank you very much. How did that happen? Because like, Vicky was an Icelandic citizen, so they can. Uh, okay. But Jeremy oh. went first, my youngest went first for a semester, fell in love with a girl, this fabulous woman mm. whose great-grandfather was Bomber Harris who ran the RAF in World War II. Wow. He bombed Dresden. He bombed the Reichstag. So we're walking the 5,000-acre estate she grew up in in the Cotswolds. And I said... Jeremy, do they know we're Jewish? <laughs> and they did. They did. So then of Jackson went over, <laughs> went to school there, so and funny. soared, 
And my oldest son, uh, Jordan, went over there, and he's now a Dharma Buddhist teacher and mindfulness teacher because the British have mandated mindfulness in the British school mm -hmm. system. So what is your professional life like now? I develop new shows for CBS, and we I'm excited. I have some good stuff for next season. What do you think about programming, network programming today, sort of as a general point of view from where it was, say, 10 or 15 years ago? There's a lot less, um, what's the word that I, you can, you can get away with a lot more in television well, now than you used to. Can. My mother turned me on to Two and a Half Men. I couldn't believe what yeah. they said on it yeah. sometimes. It's pretty, there's there's a lot more things that are accepted on television today now well, that we, nobody thinks twice about. For sure. We looked at some old series, you know, I was thought about how do you redo Streets of San Francisco. Ah, what a good show. But if you look at the old one, because I went and watched it. The scenes went on forever. Mm. And the real thing was it was Michael Douglas who was young and Carl Malden who was old. And that's – you need more than that now. But yeah. you, everything nowadays is all about character. Stories don't matter. You know, it's all about character. Uh, the example are House or uh, Ally McBeal. You knew kind of what was going to happen in that show. But you went back every week because you loved watching them do it. So you identify with certain characters on This Is Us, really well done. You care about what's going to happen to them, and you go back every week to see yeah. how they're going to deal with it. I feel that way about the show Girls. Yeah. I really do. It's like it's one I'm, of my favorites. I, I love that show. And I'm, I mean, I am, I am a, more than a, probably a generation and a half apart from them, or maybe more. And I yet I just... I lived in New York as a young woman, and so much of it is so sort of universal and consistent. Well, this season's been spectacular oh, in a yeah. certain way. That one where uh, Matthew Reese the, is the famous author mm -hmm. was brilliant, oh. I thought. But, you know, it's so interesting because uh, Judd Apatow, when he was starting, he was going to do Freaks and Geeks, called me up and said, can I come hang with you guys? And I said, sure. And he, he said, I saw it, uh, him at a thing with Rebecca he says you taught me TV I said oh please I did not I just opened <laughs> the door and he was but I'm watching a lot of his shows now because he does girls yeah he does a show called loving on Netflix mm -hmm. he does crashing, crashing on, which, uh, oh my god what did I love you that think show? of that I show I thought it. about you when I was watching but that I show. like them all I really do what do you mean when you say now it's about character hasn't it always been about well characters? but nowadays you have to pitch the character as you sell the show, it, it doesn't matter the stories. You go in with three, you know, three liners of what they mm -hmm. made, what stories might be, but it's what's the hook in, the eyes in that's a little different into this medical franchise, a cop franchise, a legal franchise. How is it going to be different? And that makes a big difference. So story story is taken sort of a backseat, or it's well, in the story matters seat. more in movies. Yeah, it's a director's medium, and yeah. TV is a writer's medium, and it's really all about character. Because the truth is, we do go back week after week to watch these characters. Right, right. There's a show I love. I love Peaky Blinders. Oh, I love that show. What a fabulous what show. A show. Taboo. <laughs> I loved. I mean, yeah. it's this guy Stephen Knight who I think is a genius. You are religiously an exercise person. You I exercise, exercise oh, all and I the read. Time. I read every writer that comes in that door, and 
we go around with our own ideas because I look at the schedule and I think what, is, what isn't on the air sometimes. Mm. And then the agencies send you 50 scripts and I go home. I go home with a weekend read. You know, in the old days, you'd have to carry all these scripts. <laughs> now I have an iPad and I can write yeah. in, on, the, in, on the pages in mm -hmm. these apps. And I do, my weekends are taken up with a lot of reading, but... I do like to exercise and... Uh, you're really good about taking care of yourself. You've always been, since I know you, you're... Not emotionally. Well, you know. <laughs> we can't all be perfect, Jeffrey. Obviously. <laughs> we can't all be perfect. <laughs> I know you aspire that. to be me, but... You I, like <laughs> eating I like coming here for dinner. <laughs> that, That's the best. That is fun. Are you happy in Nobody your life Nobody makes now? a bean dip like Rebecca. <laughs> wow. God forbid a meal at my house doesn't include a bean dip. There's absolute havoc. Well, she'll, you know what? She sucks all of us in because I made this for you and this for you and this dream cake for you. And this, for you. Oh, boy. Yeah. It's true. And then it's, it's cleaned up in 30 seconds. It's very Germanic. Oh, my God. I never saw anybody clean uh, up from dinner quicker than Rebecca. Yes. Crumbs are gone before they yeah. hit the, the counter. This okay. was so much fun. Oh, was, thank oh you. God. I had a good time. Thank you for coming. Thank really. you. Yeah. It was great. Oh, I had Jeffrey. a good time. Next time, you'll meet Kim Annenberg Cavallo. She's the founder and CEO of Lil Space, a company that enhances relationships in the digital age. With 25 years of experience in event planning and connecting people to causes and raising money for not-for-profit organizations, Kim began to focus on what would motivate us to put away our phones and practice being present more often. The Lil Space app encourages this so that people can earn rewards, support causes that they care about, and focus on what matters most in life. She's dedicated the past 20 years of her life to connecting people to movements that she's passionate about and that make a difference. She's co-founder of the Los Angeles Jewish Film Festival, successfully operating in Los Angeles for more than 12 years. Additionally, she co-founded an experiential education program where high school and college students develop relationships with Holocaust survivors through storytelling while baking bread. So join us when we rewind to the beginning with Kim Cavallo on the next Say It Forward. Thanks for listening to Say It Forward. Help us grow by subscribing to our podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or at www.sayitforwardpodcast.com. Don't forget to rate and review us on the iTunes store or like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Instagram.